You know, there's nothing better to start my week than to be able to pick the brain, the incredible brain of our friend Wendy Patrick, attorney, author, public speaker. You follow her on Twitter and you also read her columns in Psychology Today, which are often on Twitter. She's also like a musician. I saw you with a, a quartet, looked like a string quartet, getting ready to play at some fancy schmancy event last week, Wendy. How many people do you have as clones? Seriously. Yeah, you know what, really, it, it's amazing how much you can fit into a day if you use almost every hour available. <laughs> My New Year's resolution every year, Mike, is to try to pare that down just a little bit but yes music is a big part of my life just like radio and you yeah it is i I cannot say no i you know somebody goes hey do you want to do it yeah sure of course i'll be there (laughs) what i know i i don't i don't think i've ever known you to say no well you and i are alike i don't say no either that's why i'm so busy yeah you want something done you ask a busy person isn't that what we say that's true i ran into like 10 years ago i ran ran into a veteran who lost both of her legs from the knee down in mm. in the Iraq war and they fitted her with prosthetics and she runs marathons she was running the marine corps marathon that week and she also now donates her time to try and find cheap wells to help get water to people that don't have water and i thought lady you serve the country bravely you unfortunately had this horrible injury now you overcame it, you run marathons, and you also have dedicated your life to helping people get drinking water. And I asked her, how do you find the time? And she said the greatest phrase. She said, the more you do, the more you can do. Oh, I'm going to use that. I love that. That it, Not only does it make sense, but it's how inspirational Given the source, I just think that's wonderful. Good for her. I felt like such a schlub. You know, I'm like, oh, I've, right. I've done right. I wouldn't, I don't agree with that part. But, you know, that's probably what you, that's probably the explanation for as much as you managed to accomplish, too. For anybody that follows you on Facebook knows you do much more than host radio. And not only that, you're such a big fan for your very talented family, including your nephew, Riley, who continues to make headlines on the tennis court. Yes, Davis Cup next week, late next week. Yeah, David, America, go Riley. Go America, go Davis Cup. All right, Wendy, I don't want to eat up all our time talking about not inconsequential, but different stuff. Uh, there's a lot going on this week in the in the world of the law and legal things. And I think the number one question I have is regarding the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which both the state and the defense rested last at the end of last week and then there was a uh, a session that i didn't get to witness i don't know if anybody did the judge wrangling uh both of the the, the uh, representation on either side and arguing over what the jury would be told now today the jury will get instructions from the judge and i've never made it past voir dire and when i was uh, called for jury duty and never been on a jury so I, I'm just curious, and this is a very important case, what kind of things does the judge tell the jury? And does the jury have a chance to question the judge before they go in and start deliberating? <laughs> well, um, the the second question is easily answered. No. <laughs> the first, okay. the judge, you know, make, makes the rules. 
Although it is also true that now and then you do see a stray hand go up on the jury panel asking for clarification, and all judges are gracious, and they will entertain that. But um, the first question is going to be very important in a case like this, because the there's an option to, if the you know if we the judge decides it's appropriate, if both sides agree in some sense, to think about alternate charges. So in other words, if charges were added, lesser charges than what's currently on tap for the juror to to decide upon, that would mean that they could have the option of acquitting him of some of the major charges and maybe convicting of lesser charges. But that all or none strategy, I mean, think about the way that played out in the O.J. Simpson trial, for example. If it's just murder one or acquittal, there's really nowhere to go. Hmm. If you think that, well, maybe he's guilty of something, but the only thing charged is something that we find reasonable touted that not everybody agrees on. So that could be a very big deal in a a self-defense case here, given the state of the evidence, the way that it shook out um, on both sides. And that's even from the very beginning of the trial, prosecution's first witness upon cross-examination of the defense. So that is going to make a big difference as to the outcome, because, Mike, a verdict has to be based on the charges in front of a jury. And if in jury instruction they're going to be told, and then, of course, they're always given the instructions in writing, but if they're going to have more options, options than they thought they did at the beginning of the case, well, then that may very well mean it could, they could come to a very different conclusion than many people were opining about at the beginning of the case. Yeah, that's so fascinating because, you know, if you start the case and you start as a juror watching this trial unfold and you initially think, well, it's either or, and then suddenly there are a couple of shades of gray thrown in between guilty and and completely innocent based on that one charge. Now you've got lesser charges. This empowers the jury in an, in a way that I had never considered before, because now you've got the jury essentially and correct me if I'm wrong, playing the a role of the district attorney and kind of picking from a basket of charges. Well, um, remember the DA and the defense have to both agree on them. So the prosecutor is in charge of deciding whether or not this is something they want to compromise on. So too with the defense. So, and, and remember, nobody is found innocent. If somebody is found not guilty, what the jury is rendering is a verdict that states that they did not find proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, oftentimes, you know, juries will come come back and say, "We believe." that this defendant is guilty, but the evidence wasn't there. That happens more often and doesn't really make headlines because obviously we have great deference for what juries say. But sometimes they go public and they explain what went on in the jury deliberation room. So by allowing other charges, alternate charges, allowing jurors to have options other than the the highest counts that are currently charged, what that might do is prevent a mistrial, prevent a hung jury on the greater charges, allowing them to reach a consensus otherwise. But, you know, for the defense, that's not always where they want to go. I mean, I go back to the OJ trial, you know, when it is all or nothing, and if the defense believes that uh, the higher charges cannot be proven, then they would roll the dice in a sense by stating an acquittal might be likely rather than suffering a conviction on something in between an acquittal and a higher charge. So it's a really a strategy fraught with peril unless one side or the other is really confident that they're reading that jury correctly as to which way they're leaning. And that's uh, this is so interesting. We're talking to Wendy Patrick, my friend, uh, author, attorney, prosecutor, and she's just 
Wendy is a person I met talking about how to read a jury uh, when you're in a courtroom. So this this goes back to our roots, Wendy. And I'm so fascinated by this. And uh, I have I want to get to the quick question on Steve Bannon, but I have to ask you one more question. So does this then kind of allow for a little juror horse trading if there are one or two holdouts that could say, well, I I could vote guilty, but it would be for a lesser charge. Does that happen in a jury room? No, no. You, you That's why jury selection is so important. It is very difficult to remove a juror for bad behavior and not coming up with the, the right verdict or not being persuaded by the rest would never would never count. Now, there is such a thing if a jury is if a juror is failing to deliberate, then there's case law and there's motions and briefings. But the way I see it with this, it just seems like it's going to be more uh, of a robust discussion um, but no, no horse trading. That's why you got to pick them right to begin with, Mike. And maybe that's why you're you haven't been on a jury is you're a very colorful, smart personality that is sort of a, you know, toss up for both sides. You know, they'd love to have you, but you know a little bit more than they might like about the law. And I know you make the Judge Judy joke, but you know a lot about the law, more than you give yourself credit for. Most people wouldn't want that on a jury. Too smart for jury duty, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, Wendy, I've got a minute. I've got a hard minute left. (laughs) Steve Bannon is expected to surrender on uh, contempt of Congress charges. Does anybody ever go to jail for contempt of Congress? Is he facing any real time? Well, two different questions. Um, no, most people don't. Question number one. Um, and as far as what is he facing, technically laws have teeth. Technically, laws have penalties, and penalties involve jail time. But the, as a practical matter, um, they, you would consider what kind of precedent this might set. So we probably wouldn't expect uh, the judge to throw the book at him, even if he's convicted. Okay, we'll keep an eye on it. And uh, hopefully um, you'll join me again if we get any resolution in the Rittenhouse case and we can talk more about whatever verdict is rendered or not. Sounds like a plan. Her name's Wendy Patrick. Go to wendypatrickphd.com for more details. Thank you, my friend. Thank you.